glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Let's stand, if you would please, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 44 through 50. We gave you a little context earlier uh, leading into this. The Bible says, Behold, everyone that useth Proverbs shall use this proverb against thee, saying, As is the mother, so is her daughter. Thou art thy mother's daughter that loatheth her husband and her children. And thou art the sister of thy sisters which loathed their husbands and their children. Your mother was an Hittite and your father an Amorite. And thine elder sister is Samaria. She and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways nor done after their abominations, but... As if if that were a very little thing, thou wast corrupted more than they in all thy ways. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters, as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Here it is, verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. What's the number one thing listed? Pride. Fullness of bread. And abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. You could continue to read on about this in verses 51 through 63. But for our our context, this is all we'll read today. Thank you. you You may be seated. God as the creator of this nation, is now, as we've said, likening Judah to being in a family of immoral, wicked women. He said, your sister to your left hand is Samaria, and your sister to your right hand is uh, Sodom, and her sisters, you're all in the same family. He's not meaning biologically, he's meaning spiritually. You've all responded to God the same way. I'm reminded this morning... Psalm 917 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that do what? Two words. Forget God. You know what means to forget something? Now, God never God forgets things, but he does it on purpose. To forget something means it doesn't cross your mind either because you've chosen or because you just haven't pulled it up in a while and you just you forget. Meaning, to forget something is I put it out of my mind to the point it never crosses my mind anymore. I wonder how many people in our nation this morning, it hasn't crossed their mind that, that they could answer to God today. That it hasn't crossed their mind that God raised His Son from the dead some 2,000 years ago on this day of the week, first day of the week. The Bible says of the wicked, God is not in all His thoughts. Meaning if you could go through all the thoughts of a wicked man, who would you not find there? God. You can inventory the thoughts of the wicked. He thinks about money. He thinks about pleasure. He thinks about his body. He thinks about his job. He thinks about, uh, he thinks about the future. He thinks about the past. He thinks about his family. He thinks about all kinds of things. But one thing he doesn't think about is God. We have a nation right now that is in a great struggle. There's no doubt. There is a, and we're, we're not without godly people. I don't intend to say that. I praise God our nation still has some godly people who love Him and want to see His will done. 
But we have a nation that there is a large majority, a large group of people who want us to forget God. And sadly, many who are making decisions have done that and have made it law to forget God. That's a problem because the wicked should be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. By the way, thinking about morals is not the same as thinking about God. Humanists talk about morals, but they refuse to believe in God. The thing about God is to think about our Creator whose Son is Jesus Christ. You cannot separate the two. They're one. And so the point of this this morning is we need to have a clear understanding of where we are because here we're learning about the nation of Judah and God puts them in a family. It's not just of Jews. It's the Samaria and Judah are Jewish, but Sodom is their sister. That's a Gentile city. And God says, you're all the same. You're, you're the same spiritual family. I don't believe it's one one step out of context of Scripture to say, and you could put us right in there because of the sins that are listed. I'll give you three things from this text this morning. Make application to us. And what we apply, the Lord reproved me sometime back for preaching that stays outside the walls of the building. If it's too general, it's not good to just rail on the culture. Sometimes that, that gets us excited and rallies us and unifies us. And undoubtedly, there is some unity in this room this morning regarding our culture and what's going on in our culture. But I'll say it again. When we come to Ezekiel 16, I believe it's what brings us to the realization we're, we're, we're part of that. I won't ask for a lift of hands, but how many of us this morning, if we just come to the first list, the first word in the list of the iniquity of Sodom would say, I don't think I want to hear a message about pride. Just to be honest, I I would rather not hear about that because chances are I need God's help with pride in my life. So what we're going to do is give you, first of all, the comparison that God makes, the conviction that he gives, and then the condemnation that was ushered in. And so our primary emphasis will be in the conviction when God lays down what the sins of Sodom were and says, You're worse than your sister. These were her sins. And it's needful for us to see this because, again, it would be very easy for us to say, yes, we're like Sodom because of the LGBTQ community. Sure enough. But we're like Sodom because of what's listed right here in verse 49. So let's begin with this comparison God makes. How many of you have ever tried to jar somebody into reality by comparing them to someone they thought badly of. I remember years ago trying to help somebody. He he was a professing Christian. I believe he's a saved man. I believe he's a brother. But I was trying to help, and I was his pastor. I was trying to say, this is some things that you're not doing correctly. And he got very upset. He said, you're saying I'm like. And he told me about a guy that he had tried to help one time. He said, and I won't go into all the details. He said, he was doing X, Y, and Z. And I guarantee you, you're sitting here thinking about me just like I sat and thought about him. Well, I don't know altogether how you thought about him, but if comparing you to him would help you get corrected what's wrong, sure, that's fine. <laughs> because if it was something that was unbiblical, it was wrong. The point would be, God's going to use a comparison this morning. If, if you say, hey, let's compare the United States to some kingdom, it's not a flattering thing to this morning. This is Patriot Day. And it's not necessarily considered a patriotic thing to say, here's who America's like, we're like Sodom. But it's true. But it's true. And I believe, let me put it to you this way. What I'm, I'm trying to do this morning with God's help 
is lay down. If, if you went to the doctor, you said, doctor, I don't feel well. I don't, I feel weak. Uh, I just, I'm lethargic all the time. I, I don't, lethargic. I, I don't know what's going on with me. I think maybe I'm running a temperature. He says, well, let's, let's, let's get into the facts to find out what is causing you to feel bad. You know something's wrong. You just don't know what it is. He takes your temperature. You're running 99.4. Yeah, your temperature's a little higher than it ought to be. He says, let's do this. Let's do a, a blood draw. And he sends in your blood. And he comes back and says, yeah, your white blood cell count's like 30,000. It's really high. And immediately, if you know anything about medicine, you go, ooh, that's problematic. How many of you already know where that's going? We know. And he says, you know, we've got some things going on. We need to run a scan. And they run a scan. He said, we've got a spot on your right lung. All the facts are telling you what this morning. We're not physicians, but we know, do we not? you got cancer, the dreaded word. This morning, there are ways from the word of God to not guess if we have pride in our lives. We can know. One of the symptoms of pride, Proverbs 13.10, some young people could quote this right now, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. A prideful person is always contentious. Always, I've got to be proving I'm smarter than you. Um, we can go through the Word of God, and, and pride lives in pride. If you look at the personification of pride in the New Testament are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And when they were preached to by John the Baptist, they were more than happy to see that the publicans and, and the, the, the sinners should be baptized of John. But the Bible says that they did what? Instead of justifying God, when God sent John the Baptist and said, you each need to repent and be baptized because the kingdom of God is at hand, there was a group, they didn't kill John immediately. Herod took care of that later. They just didn't do what he said because they didn't need to. They were fine. It wasn't what they did that indicated their pride. It's what they wouldn't do. There was a whole group of people that would not get baptized of John the Baptist. Jesus himself did as a, as a, as a picture and a, as a, a leadership. He didn't need to be baptized. He had no sins to repent of. But he said, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness, meaning the Pharisees and scribes says, we're better than Jesus. He got baptized, but we don't need to. You with me? You know what was their chief sin? Pride. And the, and the chief... The chief indicator of it was they justified themselves. If someone always finds a reason why I'm not at fault for anything, right? We're just scratching a couple of the symptoms here this morning. I believe we have a pandemic in our country, and it's not COVID-19. We have a pandemic of pride. It's very difficult to... Speak of people their need for Christ because what do we need? And what do we need today? Why do I need Christ? My house is in order. I, you know, I've got it paid for or mostly paid for. I've got multiple vehicles. I, I can, I'm good. What do I need? And so, again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but God begins to make a comparison. He wants to get Judah's attention and he compares her. Don't you think the people of Israel knew by heart the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, wasn't this from Father Abraham and nephew Lot? I mean, one of their family members had been there in their ancestry. They knew it. It was in their Bible like it's in our Bible. Sodom would be the city that you would disdain. It's the place that you'd say, we never want to be like that. That's not who we are. And, and yet, God, the, the, the Jehovah God, the God of Judah says, I want you to understand what you're like. 
You're like Sodom, except, here's the problem, you're worse. The Lord Jesus would later upbraid a number of cities with their unbelief. And you know what he said? He said, if the works that had been done in thee had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they had repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You know what he was saying? You're worse than Sodom. I believe it today. America is worse than Sodom. You know why? How many, how many churches this morning could a person go to and hear the gospel preached if they really had a mind to? If somebody said, I really, really, really want to know about God, and I want somebody to tell me, say, Pastor, there's not one on every corner. No, but there's one at the end of the click of a mouse if you really want to find it, at least a Bible message. And the fact of the matter is we have far more opportunity to be reconciled to God in this land than Sodom did. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We have his book. We have his people, uh, so on and so forth. So the comparison that was made uh, was to someone who was despised, God knowing what he's doing, knowing that Sodom was despised in the eyes of Judah. He says, you're like your sister Sodom, but you're worse. So he, he chooses someone who's despised. The Lord Jesus would later do the same thing when he's preaching in his own hometown of Nazareth. And by the way, he could there do no mighty work in his own hometown. Do we know why? Unbelief. They didn't believe he was who he said he was. Couldn't do a mighty work. And he said that a prophet is not without honor saving his own country. And then he compared the, them and contrasted them to a couple of Gentile folk. He said when Elijah was thirsty, and I'm paraphrasing, he was sent unto none but the widow of Sarepta because she had enough faith to do what God said. God had to send Elijah the prophet out of the nation of Samaria because there was not anybody inside the nation that would give him water to drink, so he sent him to a Gentile widow. And then he says, in the days of Solomon, it was the queen of Sheba that came, another Gentile. <laughs> and boy, that's when they decided to throw him over the brow of the hill. We, because he compared them to someone worse than themselves. Can you imagine this morning if you were a, a, you were a, a child, a young person, your, your, your parents set you down, he said, you know what? I know a young person today, and they are in the local jail for, for, for a grand theft. They're in the local jail for substance abuse and all these things. And you are worse than them. Woo! Why is God being so rough on this nation? Well, if you read the first part of the chapter, you understand. He said, I, was, I did all of this for you. I showered you with my blessings. And instead of loving the blesser, you loved the blessings. Now, I, God knows my heart. I love my country. Why I preach. I love God. God called me here. He could have sent me to some other country. He sent me to the United States. I believe this today. You want to get an American's attention? Touch his pocketbook. Start taking his things. And he'll say, Oh no, what did I do wrong? God must be unhappy with me. I don't have enough money. I need to get right with God. You know what that tells me? We love the blessing, not the blesser. It's a sad thing. That's why church attendance spiked after 9-11. A lot of people thought, what's going to happen to our country? I thought it was very interesting to watch the nation's response after COVID in contrast to 9-11. After 9-11, there was a certain level of calmness saying, you know what, we got this, we can you know, figure out what's going on. And after that, there was a, a sensitivity to God. We have done nothing but harden by and large. 
as a nation, not everybody, since, since COVID and all that took place there. And my point is this. Today, God's going to make a comparison of Judah to Sodom. Let's do the comparison for us. So then we get into the conviction phase. The comparison is made in verses 44 down through verse 48. But in verse 48, he said, As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. How many of us understand this principle that the Lord Jesus put forward? To whom much is given of the same is much required. Uh, The nation of Judah had been given so much. God had brought her out of Egypt, established her in the land, given her a temple, given her a good king in David, given a good successor in Solomon, and had delivered them in battles and had established them and truly made them a nation of renown, of world renown, and yet they had sinned against the grace of God. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a nation that's had the gospel preached as abundantly as this one. Perhaps England, but we know where England is today. We've had tremendous opportunity, tremendous grace of God, to whom much is given of the same as much required. Verse 49, the conviction begins, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Then he says, therefore took I them away as I saw good. Let's walk through these sins. We've talked already much about pride. If you could give me a definition of pride this morning, how would you define it? What is pride? That's a good definition. Putting yourself before the Lord, meaning I'm more important than he is. (laughs) Pride is an exalted view of oneself. It is a false view of oneself. I believe this with my entire being based on the word of God. The antidote for pride is truth. If pride is to die, truth must be accepted. If I can learn to take God's view of me, it'll kill pride. Paul sa- uh, uh, David says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? God, why would you pay attention to me? We have men today saying, who is God that he wouldn't pay attention to me? He, you know how that's phrased? Why do bad things happen to good people? Who is God that he wouldn't take pay attention to me? Our perspective should be, what is man that God is mindful of us? We're a, we're a speck of dust. Literally, God took dust and breathed into the breath of life and gave us the ability to reproduce ourselves. And here we are all these years later, and we've, we have an elevated view of ourselves. May I say this? Bitterness is nothing more than an outcropping of pride. Because bitterness says, I have been treated worse than I deserve. And the fact of the matter is, is today every person in this room has been treated by God to this point better than we deserve. The United States of America should understand, we are not in existence because God needs us. We are in existence because God is merciful. God can, you know what, if America, if the United States of America ceased to exist today, it would not change God or His plans one iota. God said, Jesus said to those proud Pharisees, He said, think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. God is able to raise up from these stones children to Abraham. God doesn't need you. Truth, isn't it? But pride is to think, you know, the world would cease... The world is about my happiness. You know what humanism is rooted in? Pride. 
The world exists for me to have pleasure. The world exists for me to be happy. The world exists for me to get a name for myself because I'm an important person. Listen, you are important to God. So important He sent His Son to die and pay for your sins. The value of a human being is measured in the blood of Jesus Christ, but no other way. Amen? My point this morning is this pride is thinking, you know what, the guy next to me this morning really needs the sermon. The folks who aren't here today, boy, I sure do wish, I sure wish that sodomite crowd was here today, but they're not. And we are. Boy, I tell you, somebody else needs that kind of preaching. I tell you, that's P-R-I-D-E. We who preach the word must first have it preached to before we can preach out. Pride says, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I understand, I understand I could do better as a Christian, but I do pretty good. Pride constantly self-justifies. The Bible talks about the slothful, that uh, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. You know what that is? When I ought to be taking an action, I come up with all kinds of excuses why the action is not, I'm not responsible for it. Right? And it's become what pride does in the heart. It blinds the spiritual eyes. It deafens the spiritual ears so that we're not able to process to the point of application the Word of God because it always applies to someone else. You with me? When, When the Word of God is not being applied in my life in a practical, daily manner, I should be suspicious of pride. So the first sin of of her sister Sodom was pride. Remember, she trusted in her own beauty. Here's what happens. Is it possible to build such a a portrait of ourselves in our mind that we really feel that we are inoculated from reproof, rebuke, and correction? If you read the book of Proverbs, I hope you bear with me this morning. The message is a little different. I understand that. If you read the book of Proverbs, the number one characteristic that is necessary for wisdom is is the ability to accept and apply reproof. If you look up the word reproof, it means censure to the face. Something our culture knows nothing of. Meaning, someone's going to come and say, here's what you're doing, here's why it is wrong, and here's what you need to do to change it. You see, one-third of preaching is reproof. Reprove, rebuke, and then exhort meaning convince of what's wrong, convince the individual you're responsible, that's the rebuke part, and then exhort, here's what you need to do to fix it. May I say this? When I'm not responding positively to the instruction of God's Word in a a manner that's applicable, many times what is the root of that is pride. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit for a fall. So God says the first sin of Sodom was just pride. She had a false view of herself. How many of you understand Sodom would have been a beautiful city? Absolutely. How many of you ever seen Las Vegas, Nevada? At a glimpse, beautiful place. And don't go roaming the streets. It's ugly. (laughs) I've not been on the streets roaming. Don't plan on it. But there are beautiful things in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a wicked place. Sodom was a beautiful place. Judah was a beautiful place. The United States of America is beautiful, at least for now. What can happen is we can look at the outward settings of things and say, you know what, look how well we're doing 
certainly we must be doing something right. And so pride blinds us to having a proper view of ourselves. And so pride, first of all. Then secondly, he says fullness of bread. Is it wrong to have plenty of bread? That's not what he's referring to. How many of you understand that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll turn there, 2 Corinthians 9, is a principle of giving. And the Bible says that the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Fullness of bread is reference to their covetousness. It's reference to their, they weren't givers, they were keepers. They were hoarders. These are people, if you study about the king of Sodom in Genesis 14, the first thing he thought about, as soon as he's delivered from battle, the first thing he thought about was money, goods. He says to Abraham, you take the goods, I'll keep the people. He's already thinking about how can I rebuild what I have. It was a a goods-oriented, greedy place, fullness of bread. I'm sure there were people around them that they could have given to. Uh, The point would be this this morning, and I praise God, there are a lot of giving people in our country, but more and more and more, we have a mentality in our nation, including in the church house, that I've got to take care of me and my economy and my financial future first and foremost. And fullness of bread deals with their, their greed, deals with their covetousness. They had hoarded to themselves. I understand Egypt had fullness of bread for seven years because they're going to have seven years of famine. So the idea is that he's not condemning riches, but the Bible does say the love of money is the root of all evil. It didn't say money is, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Turn with me very quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I said earlier, I want to get the attention of American touch his pocketbook, and it's true. Uh, sadly, I remember so many years ago uh, when, we, when we saw wicked people running for political office. I remember when Bill Clinton was running for political office, and people said it's about, remember he said it's about the economy, stupid. And all of a sudden, it didn't really matter his, his, his lack of morals, none of that mattered. We had to fix the economy. Primary was money. If we have a problem in the education system, what do we say the answer is? Money. If we have a problem in the church house, we try to say the answer is money. No, money is the cheapest commodity we have. But the fact is Sodom had put together, I want to tell you what, you know what happened? Their fullness of bread, all their root cellars and all of their 20 years of food laid by... You hear me this morning, it disappeared in 30 seconds. There are people today saying, well, whoo, we've got a really bad things are coming. We've got to hoard. We've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to stock up for me and mine because I don't want anybody taking what I got. Well, I'm going to be in so much trouble before I get done here this morning. You know what? Cast thy bread upon the waters. Isn't that what the Bible says? It'll return to you. Given it shall be given. If we've turned into selfish keepers instead of selfless givers, we're not being like our Savior. This fullness of bread addressed the greed that was in... See, look here. If you're the most important person, then you're the, the person has to be provided for when? First or last? Well, first. I mean, i got to take care of me first. Yeah. And that reflects in so many parts of our culture that a self-centered, self-pleasing, self-promoting self-gratifying ideology so that many times even church itself has become around making the most important people happy instead of pleasing the Lord. First Timothy 6, the Bible says this in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, 
strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, so those that purpose to be rich, they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Thank God for providing. How many of us can understand this morning? We are rich today, honestly. And many of, we didn't ask for that. Many of us didn't even earn that. It was bestowed on us. And praise God for it. But don't you know then what's in our hand we're responsible for? And if we have the mentality, I'm going to hoard for myself. I, I've got to make sure I, you know, I can't, I can't give to the things of God and my time. I can give my time, but if I'm giving my time, I can't be earning money. And if I'm not earning money, I can't be laying it up. Oh, so your family's starving? No, we're laying up for 45 years from now. Oh. So you can't be at church all day on the Lord's day because we're concerned about how things are going to be 45 years from now. Come on, friends, that's what it breaks down to so many times. Because time turns into money, and I don't have time to serve the Lord because i got to make sure my my needs are met. Look, every person here, our needs are met this morning. You know, the sins of Sodom, pride and fullness of bread, and we're going to get to understand a little more about the fullness of bread here in just a second, and abundance of idleness. I'm telling you, this is the United States of America. I've had numerous conversations this last week with people, and we're discussing how. How do you drive an $85,000 truck, live in a $300,000 home, and you're not working a job? Friends, this is a reality in our lives. We have in Bonner's Fair, signs everywhere saying help wanted. And we don't have enough people to fill those jobs? Or we have people that say, I don't have to. I can sit on my hands and do nothing and have food in my belly, clothes on my body. I can sit and look at a screen all day and do nothing with my time that's profitable and I know I can still eat. Abundance of bread produced abundance of idleness. The Bible says, Proverbs 19, 15, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Today, in this land, we have pride. And because of an abundance of bread, how, how are we able to afford to pay people not to work? It's making God's word seem like a lie. God's word says if a man would not work, neither should he. That day's coming. Now, it can't last forever. Either it's going to fold on itself or God's going to drop his wrath, but it can't continue God is, a, how many of us understand slothfulness is a sin? Idleness is a sin. The time to waste on my, just pursuing my own pleasure. I'm not talking about rest. We're talking about idleness. I'm not doing anything profitable. I'm not, I don't have to. I can just, now see, we think of Sodom and we think of those folks marching down our streets trying to shut churches down. True. But how many of us know pride and abundance of bread? And abundant, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness has been around much longer than that. 
to where there's, may I just say to our young people, don't be idle. You've heard idleness is the devil's workshop. That's not in the scripture by verbatim, but boy, is it true. If you don't give yourself to doing the right thing, you will do the wrong thing. Your flesh and my flesh can't be trusted. Young man, if you won't go get a job and work, you're going to end up in sin. That's just the way it'll work. I didn't say anything about it this morning. I mean, this morning, I got a couple of fellas sleeping in our bus this morning. I'll tell you the story later if you want it. But what's up with that? And I hang around in town all night. And the officer asked me, left, where are you going? He said, I don't know. I invited them to come to church, and they're not here. <laughs> Idleness. What do we do with our time? I know this. I am a male. And I've raised a bunch of them, and I'm in the process of doing it. Young men, if you don't do what you're supposed to with your time, I promise you, you'll do what you're not supposed to. Do you know how sodomy grew in Sodom? People saying, we don't know what to do with our time, but we're the most important person. My pleasure is what is number one. So let me find something fun to do, because I ain't got any work to do. Look, just say this. You don't have any work to do, call me. I have stuff you can do. <laughs> call number men, Jim and Jeff, yeah. You got work to do, right? There's work to be done. The point is this. The conviction is he doesn't say anything about the immorality at first. No, it's pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Then he says, now I'm going to talk not about what you did and what was in you, but I'm going to talk about what you didn't do. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Now, wait a minute. If there is fullness of bread, you shouldn't have any poor and needy, should you? But they did. This, this, I said it would give more definition to the fullness of bread. Meaning you had the ability to strengthen those who were weaker than you, but you kept it for yourself. You had the physical ability to take your feet. Can I get spiritual here this for just a minute? The, the practical aspect is you got some guy that's physically, truly, physically disabled. He can't grow a garden. I can. I can take him food. We know about that. I praise God for people who do that. But what about the spiritual application? How many of you have more than five Bibles? And you could take your feet onto, you have the financial ability to get on an airplane, travel somewhere else where they don't, and you could put your hands, a Bible, and put it in somebody else's hand. Because I don't have time for that. I've got a two-week vacation this year. I don't have time to go on a mission trip. Huh? I'm not healthy enough. And I just say this. We're not only physically wealthy, we're spiritually wealthy. We have the ability to print Bibles. You realize in some places they can't even get a printing press set up in their, in, their, in their country and keep it operating because of the humidity and all the things that go wrong. We can print them. We can ship them. We can take them. And what's wrong if we don't? We sit with an abundance of Bibles and Bible study lessons and supplemental Bible helps on our shelves with people who've not even got a portion of Scripture in their hand yet. Where are we at? Are we strengthening? Let's, let's take this another direction, if I may. And you're being patient, and we're all, we'll be done soon. Who is more poor and needy than an innocent child in a womb? Huh? And we have policies that don't strengthen them. We say annihilate them. Why? You know the number one reason is for annihilating a baby? I'll guarantee you. It's spelled with dollar signs. Dollars for the doctor. Dollars for the clinic. Dollars that the parents can keep for themselves because having children is not cheap. I know what I'm talking about. But you couldn't pay me enough money in the world to not have every, every one of our ten children. We have a culture that says, 
your career is more important than having... I heard a statistic the other day. said there are statistics out now that say women who don't marry and don't have children are wealthier. And some woman thankfully answered and said, well, it depends if you measure wealth in dollars or not. Huh? We do not value what God values. We don't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy uh, as a culture. And so our part is, what about us? So what about us this morning? What am I doing personally to strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy? Physically, yes. Also spiritually. How many of you this morning can pillow your head when it comes night and know I am resting in Jesus Christ? I know what's going to happen when I go into eternity. Have we thought about the person that doesn't have that knowledge? Do they get the gospel from us or are we just content that we've got that? The point is, the sins of Sodom were deeply embedded. It started with pride. My happiness, my peace, my, my security is primo because I am primo. And then there's abundance, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. And then he said, and then what you didn't do is you didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy, whether we're speaking physically or spiritually or both. By the way, you can look when the angels came into the city of Sodom. It took Lot to come out to say, you don't have a place to stay. I got a place. And you don't want to stay on the street tonight because they're not going to strengthen your hands. And so the fact of the matter is that he not only is rebuking Judah for what she had in her, but what she wasn't doing. He said, you're like her, but worse. Didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And he says, verse 50, and they were haughty. Those Sodomites, they were haughty. Now, the word haughty means this, proud and disdainful. Proud and disdainful, having a high opinion of oneself with some contempt for others, lofty and arrogant and supercilious. The idea would be this. Is there ever a time in our lives where we're constantly looking at others and going, oh, my, did you see that? Did you know about that? This haughty view of you're not like me, so there's obviously something wrong with you. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Extortioners, adulterers, idolaters, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Well, bless your heart. You know what? One of the greatest things that God allows me to do is go into our county jail. And I'm reminded every week that for God's mercy and grace, I'd be on the other end of that ministry. I know it. And I praise God. I praise God has been good. You know what? Let's go. Then let's go. How many think God can save those men? Oh, absolutely. He has no problem with that. They let him. He can do it. My point is this this morning. Haughtiness many times. Boy, I hope so-and-so was listening this morning. They sure needed that one. be a good time to make a trip to the altar right now. This is haughty. Amen? When we see the, oh, these. I can't believe these ones, you know. Is it, and it's not excluded to the lost world. It gets into us as God's people. And so he says they were haughty. They disdained counsel, disdained instruction. He said, and then he finally mentions it, and committed abomination. But what does he say? Before me. Meaning they openly did what they know I hate. Now now he's referring to that sin of sodomy, no doubt. You know in Proverbs there are seven abominations, and the first one is a proud Look, lying tongues, hands that be uh, shed innocent blood, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a heart that deviseth iniquity. I'm planning how I can do something that I know is wrong. And so the, and he said, they did it they're right in front of me. They were open and unashamed about doing abominable things. We have a nation that for years has 
Again, I may get in all kinds of trouble. We started role reversal and cross-dressing 45, 50 years ago. Saying it's okay for a woman to be a man if she wants to be. Now, it's disgusting for a man to be like a woman. But if a woman wants to take on a man's role and lead the home, dress like a man, put on britches like a man, act like a man, that's okay because she's a woman. Now we've come full circle and men are doing it, wearing dresses and acting the perverse role they are and reading books at libraries to little children. We say, friends, this started 45, 50 years ago. I told you I'm an old kind. Correct me if I'm wrong. God made us distinct. And you know what? We've not only said it's okay, we said it's good and righteous. And if you speak against it, it's evil. We've called evil good and good evil. And hear me, even inside the church house. Even inside the church house. To the point that today, simply agreeing with God about how He views His own creation is viewed as abominable by men while we're doing before God what's abominable to Him. We've had in the home... Parents who who have accepted a reversal of roles and say, well, I don't want to be overbearing with my children. And instead of rearing them and training them and teaching them, it's the other way around. The children are instructing the parents. And this has become a pattern. Sadly, what I want to see and don't want to see is it become a pattern here. So what does this have to do with our message? Everything. You know, the only abomination to God is not sodomy. That is an abomination. But lying lips and hands that shed innocent blood and feet to be swift and running to mischief and these things are an abomination. God says, I hate that. When you mar my creation and my mold and what I designed you to be, I, I hate that. And there's a boldness that creeps in to say, you know what? We're under grace. God doesn't hate anything anymore. No, 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 no. God's willing to forgive you for doing what He hates if you'll repent toward Him and trust His precious Son. That's grace, not God saying, I'm okay with everything. God's the same. He's righteous, the same yesterday and today and forever. You say, Pastor, you hate people that, no, no, this, listen, we need repentance because we're out of odds with who? God. And we gotta say, where did this begin? Where's it begin? Pride. Can I, can I give one last definition of pride? I'm going to sum it up in a statement. I know the Bible says, but. I know, and when we say that, we know what the Bible means. I know it says that. But. I am wiser than the Bible. I've deducted that my conclusion is better, and you plug in the issue. We've touched a lot of them this morning. But when we know what God's Word says, and we say, my conclusion is actually better than His conclusion, that's the epitome of pride. Is it not? I know what God says. I know what His Word teaches. I know His template. I know His plan. I know His purpose. I know that. But, I remember having a conversation years ago over just a simple issue of home and social life and I'd preached and had a discussion with a man afterwards and we were not on the same page as to what the conclusion of that 
text says is very clear. He says, I know it says that, but isn't there a little bit of wiggle room? <laughs> and today I would say, you, you tell me. <laughs> Thou hast said. I don't know. <laughs> eh? And this morning, friend, what happens is we understand what God says. We understand what God means. We say, but if that's right, look at what it's going to cost me. Isn't that right back the same root, Sam? Pride. About me. Oh, no. It's about him. You see, God sent his precious son to die for us. And he, he sent him into the world to bring us to repentance, to turn us from darkness to light, to turn us from sin unto himself. And the Lord Jesus, he came to turn us. We were in rebellion against God. You had nations like cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. You had nations like Judah and Samaria that had rebelled against God. Friends, Jew and Gentile alike have broken God's law. We're at odds with God through pride and greed and self-centeredness and all these things and haughtiness. And when God is reproved, there's been a, I'm going to commit my abomination before you. And God says in Ezekiel, I had one recourse. And that was to take them as I saw fit. So he says in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 50, And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So he said, that's old covenant. Read Revelation 2 and 3. And the Lord Jesus says to his churches, to the church of Ephesus, Except you repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. I'll have to, if you don't agree and hear what I'm saying and adjust to my word, I'll have to remove your light. I'm going to have to shut you down and... Yeah, I encourage you, study Great Britain today. Find me a Bible-preaching, Christ-loving, God-honoring church in Great Britain. They're hard to find. He removed them as he saw fit. Because the preaching of the Word that was taking place under Charles Spurgeon and men like him and the response with tenderness of heart changed once they began to realize you can criticize God's Word and we become judges of the Bible instead of being judges of us. There in the late 1800s, the spiritual atmosphere changed. And instead of submitting the authority of God's word, we said, I know the scripture says, but, probably mistranslation, but, but, but. You with me this morning? This morning, how many of us believe Jesus Christ is the virgin-born son of God? How many believe he's the only way of salvation? Now let's check. Why do we believe that? The Bible says it. Then anything else the Bible says is just as true. We just have enough wisdom from the Spirit of God and know where it applies. And this morning, here's what happens. And the application would be this. Does God take away churches? I came from the southeast. They're dropping like flies back there, churches do. You know why? Pride. Fullness of bread. We're rich, increased with goods, in need of nothing. Abundance of idleness. Don't know what to do with our time. So just do whatever we want. And then haughtiness, when the reproof of God's word comes, it's like, that's not right. That didn't apply to me. A disdainful, self-righteous justification of oneself. I don't need that. That's not you with me. And God was left with one thing. It applies to the church. If you're a child of God this morning, you won't lose your salvation. But do you realize God does take God's children home sometimes? He says in 1 Corinthians 11, some are sleeping because of how they approached his table. So you're trying to scare us this morning. No, I think we need a good reminder that if there's hope for America, we've got to see ourselves here and say, if there's any of that in me, and if through the preaching of God's word this morning, he's shown me pride or greed or slothfulness 
or haughtiness or just flat-out negligence of doing what I ought to do, strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, then I'm I'm going to take care of it now. Amen. That's what revival is. When we're awake enough to respond to his word in a way that he wants us to. This morning, the Spirit of God will not accuse you. He'll reprove you. Do we understand the difference? Accusation stirs fear in your heart of maybe I am. Reproof says, no, this is an absolute fact. And if you're going to agree with me, you've got to agree with what I say. And this morning, you know what? We, how many of us like to see more people saved in the United States of America? A better reception to the gospel. What's the number one deterrent of that? When we try to tell somebody the gospel, they're like, I don't need that. Two words, I'm good. But I wonder how many times for us as Christians we're given the same response to some instruction we need. I'm good. My life is going well. God knows. God knows every heart. I do not. I do know this message you gave this morning. And this morning, as a child of God, he can take us away as he sees fit if we're not serving his purpose. As a church, he can take us away if we're not responding as we should. Hear me. As a nation... We just had this discussion via text. Find Sodom. Can you find it? She's gone. Could America actually like, disappear? Yeah. They were too great. No. Only God is great. And this morning, I think at the heart of this, this is where the Lord led me today, is to preach on pride. Hard thing to preach on because every day I have to say, God, help me. Pride is so natural, but it's still wicked. Maybe this morning God's put his finger on something. Maybe in pride we've disagreed with God and said, I know what the word of God says, but that's just not my view. Today would be a good day to get right with him. You may be here this morning and you say, you know what? I've heard the gospel. I know I hear this. You need to be saved. You may be here and know you're not saved. May I say this? The same God that has power to take you away is not willing that you should perish. He would want you to come repentance, put your faith in his son. He will. Here's the grace of God. He will forgive you for doing abominable things in his sight if you repent and put your trust in his son, Jesus Christ.